Well, hello everyone. As you can see, I am still alive. Barely, but I am. And uh, as I, as you heard last week, when Jennifer uh, thankfully stepped in on my behalf to preach, uh, she said that I had pneumonia uh, because my doctor was utterly convinced I had pneumonia. Uh, so much so that he sent me for a chest X-ray and some blood work. Uh, thankfully, I did not have pneumonia. I did have some sort of chest infection or respiratory tract infection or something like that. Uh, and thankfully, the antibiotics worked and kind of, you know, got that off the system and kind of got me back on my feet. But I am unable at this stage to shake this niggling little cough. So at some point, I'm likely to cough. Uh, and I will politely say, excuse me, and hopefully continue. Uh, and of course, if it's a full-on coughing attack, I do have a trusty thing of holes over here, and so hopefully that'll help me kind of get through this, uh, as will your prayers. So thank you for all of those. Uh, just quickly, before we dive into uh, the Word this morning, before we continue in our Advent journey, I do just want to remind you that if at any point in this past year you have made a financial donation to White Rock Baptist Church, then in the foyer, in our mailboxes at the back, there are your charitable receipts uh, for 2022. So please go and look for the envelope with your name on that. Uh, that is to make sure that we've recorded the correct numbers. Uh, so you will get your official final one at the end of the year. This one is to just make sure that we've got the right numbers. So please, if at any point in the year you've made a financial donation, go and get that so you can double check that. If, of course, there is some uh, correction that is needed, then please contact the office so that we can go ahead and do that for you. Uh, and that's that. So we are on the second week of Advent. Uh, Advent simply means coming. Yeah, and when we talk about Advent, it's a season where we kind of do one of two, well, we do two things at the same time. Uh, we look back and we remind ourselves of Christ's first coming, that Jesus came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, that God took on flesh and walked among his creation. So that's the one direction we look at during Advent. But the reason we pause and we kind of remember Advent is not only to look back, but also to look ahead. It's a time where we remind ourselves that, in fact, Jesus is coming again. It's not simply that Jesus came and that's it. It's the reminder that, yes, Christ came to earth, but Jesus will return. And he will restore all things. He, he will make uh, this creation to be what it is supposed to be in that perfection, in that presence of God. And so during the Advent season, uh, as you saw this morning and as we did last week and we will do every week of Advent, uh, we light a candle as a symbolic reminder. A, a symbolic reminder to what Christ brings to this world and what Christ brings to us. And so last week, we lit that candle of hope. And we are reminded that we have this hope. And of course, when we talk about hope, for many of us, hope is that word that kind of, it means, well, I don't know if something's going to happen, so I'm kind of just hoping it will. But that's not the biblical sense of hope. 
When the Bible uses the word hope, it is an assurance of something that will take place. And so we have hope in Jesus Christ that does not let us down. And today we, we spend time acknowledging the peace of Christ. And we'll get into that in a moment. Next week when we light that candle of joy, the reminder that Jesus brings and gives us joy. In fact, that's kind of part of I love the way God's allowed it to work out. You know, next Sunday, as you heard from Hannah a moment ago, it's not a regular service for us. Uh, we have our children's musical, and that is going to be a joy-filled time. It will be a little bit chaotic because that's what happens when you get a bunch of children up on stage and have them singing and their parents are out in front of them with their phones videoing and, and all of that. And, and so, but it's, it's filled with joy. It's filled with fun. It's filled with laughter. And part of why we celebrate that is because we are reminded that Jesus gives us joy. And then, of course, there's the candle of love, that indeed God is love. And because of love, because God loves us so much, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And we even reflect on that this morning when we gather around the communion table. And all of that, all that hope, that love, that joy, that peace, all of that is found in Jesus Christ. And so on our Christmas Eve service on the 24th, and I, I hope you will be joining us on Christmas Eve as we gather to worship and to celebrate on that night, we light the Christ candle, that symbolic reminder that all of this, all that we long for, is found in Jesus Christ. So today, we, we're looking at this idea of peace. One of the things that I love about Advent is there are all these prophecies throughout the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ. And it means we get to spend a little bit of time in, in some books that we don't always spend some time in. This morning, I'm, I want to have a look at one of the minor prophets, a guy by the name of Micah. Uh, he's not called minor because he's small or anything like that. The, the minor prophets are called the minor prophets because their letters or their books are generally a little bit shorter then the major prophets. So the major prophets had a whole lot to say. Uh, the minor prophets had a lot less, but it was no less important. And so this morning, we're going to have some fun uh, with Micah, one of the great 7th century BC prophets. In fact, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, one of the, the major prophets, and, and of Hosea. And of course, when Micah comes onto the scene and, and Micah starts recording his prophecy, uh, we have to remind ourselves of what's taking place in the kingdoms of Israel as the 12 tribes that make up the nation of the people of God. And by the time Micah comes along, the kingdom has already split. Uh, we have a northern kingdom, which uh, consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes, and that's called Israel, sometimes known as Samaria because Samaria was the capital of Israel. Uh, and so that's the northern kingdom. And then the southern kingdom made up of two tribes, and that was known as Judah. Uh, and so Israel, this northern kingdom, uh, these northern tribes, they've turned their back completely on Yahweh. Uh, they're not worshiping God. In, in fact, uh, they've drifted so far from worshiping God that they worship a bunch of false gods. One of the, the gods is Baal that we know, and, and then another one is Moloch. And Moloch was a real piece of work. You know, when, when, when I look at what took place, it, it blows my mind 
But one of the ways that Moloch was worshipped was Moloch was, had the statue dedicated to him and, and his, his stomach was often open as this kind of receptive uh, spot that would receive offerings. And they would, they would put Moloch into fire. Uh, and so Moloch would become just super hot in the middle of these flames. And, and as part of worship, people would literally bring their baby and put their baby in that flame. As this supposed act of worship with this, this idea that, well, if I do this, Moloch will look favorably upon me and will bless me. You and I are appalled at something like that. And we think, how could people do that? Yet that was the culture of the day. That was the, the practice of the day. People worshipped and thought, if I do this, then God and Moloch will bless me. And so this is what's taking place in the northern kingdom at the time of Micah. Of course, in the southern kingdom, it wasn't a whole lot better. You know, the, the, the southern kingdom, they sort of felt, well, we have Jerusalem. We have the temple. We have the presence of God. And in their arrogance, they, they kind of had this view of, well, nothing will happen to us. And they start, even they started to drift away from worshiping God. And they, they ignored the, the commands, the instructions of God. And they chose to rest on their wealth and their affluence. And they started to take advantage of the poor and the hungry and the needy. And they, they pushed themselves at the expense of the weak. And so God lays on Micah these words to speak to the nations. And God says to Micah, go and call my people to repentance. Call them to that place where they acknowledge that what they have done and what they are doing is wrong. It is sinful. Call them to repentance and bring them back to that place of worship. You know, as we journey into 2023 next year, uh, the pastoral team and, and kind of the, well, really the pastoral team and the board and, and a bunch of us, uh, we've been praying through, Lord, where are you leading us next year? And one of the things that is weighing heavy on our hearts is this idea of revival and this idea of seeking revival. And you're going to hear myself, the pastoral team, you're going to see it on our website, you're going to see it in our weekly emails. We're going to be dri driving home this idea of seeking revival. Now, revival happens when God's people worship God as he is supposed to be worshipped. When God's people understand that God is God and he will not be replaced. And so we worship. But it doesn't simply begin with worship. It begins when God's people repent from their sin. It begins when God's people acknowledge that not only am I not worshiping God as I should, but the reason I'm not worshiping God is because I'm worshiping something else. I've put something else in God's place in my life, and I need to repent of that. And that's what Micah does. Micah calls the nations to repent. And in this prophecy, in this book of Micah, Micah warns the nations that if you do not repent, God will send your enemies, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, God will send those nations that you think will never get to you. God will send them to destroy you. And that's exactly what happened. In, in around 721 BC, Assyria came down and swept through uh, Samaria. 
and, and devastated it. And even the, the, the Jerusalem kind of felt like, oh, we're protected, we're sheltered. Well, no, they weren't. It wasn't all that much longer when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came through and they sacked Jerusalem. And they tore down the temple, that image of the presence of God. And Micah warns them, this is what's coming. If you don't repent, if you don't worship. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, way to go, Brian. It's Christmas, it's Advent, we're speaking about peace, and man, you've taken a dark turn this morning. Can we just sing some carols instead? I get it, I understand. Have no fear. Micah, even in the midst of all that prophecy, gives incredible hope. Micah shows us that even in that context of sin and rebellion, for those who turn and come back to God, there is hope. There will be peace. But really what Micah is saying to them is, is you cannot have both. You cannot have the peace of God if you're still pursuing your own Ideas and your own lusts of the flesh. If, if you're pursuing and worshiping and idolizing something that is not God, you cannot have. We have to worship God. We have to repent and return. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to. Hello? Did I get that? I did. It's gone off. You got the microphone. And oh, there we go. It's my own fault. I completely forgot to check the batteries this morning. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, please turn to Micah chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to just read a couple of verses from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 uh, through to, five, uh, three to 6. Sorry, Micah 2 to 6 in chapter 5. Uh, and that will be up on the screen as well. But you, Bethlehem... Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor will bear a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians, and when they invade our land and march across our borders." Micah speaks, and he talks about Bethlehem Ephrathah. 
And we kind of read that and sort of wonder, what on earth is, is he talking about over there? And, and really what Bethlehem meant, uh, it, you know, if you try to interpret the, or translate the name, sorry, it meant the house of bread. Uh, and Bethlehem was about eight or so miles south of Jerusalem, home of David. Uh, Ephrathah means fruitful, and certainly it, re- it meant and were kind of pointed to the fertility of the land and the fertility of the region. And so Micah reminds this little town, hey, out of, out of all the nation, out of all the peoples, you, you're, you're the small little place, but out of you will come one. Out of you will come the Messiah. And so Micah reminds them in verse 3 that, look, you're going to face this exile. Uh, the judgment of God is coming. Because you refuse to worship, because you refuse to repent, God will send the nations, your enemies, and they will take you into exile. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, it took three stages, beginning in 538 B.C. under Zerubbabel, and then with Ezra in 458 B.C., and then under Nehemiah in about 444 B.C. And so now with this, this sense of exile, with the sense of what's going on, where's the hope, where's, where's the peace in the middle of all this adversity, we find that the stage is in fact set for the first advent. The stage is set for the coming of Jesus. And that's what Micah has in view here. As God has laid on his heart, and <coughs> excuse me, as he, as he has this prophetic image, as he, as he sees ahead in a sense, And he sees there is coming a Messiah, one who will bring peace. You know, but not only is there that sense of one who is coming, but it's that reminder of he will return. And so for we who read this, yes, we know there's that first coming, but we have the beauty and the joy of knowing that it's also talking about the second coming. You know, last night I, I was at a dinner party with a group of friends, a, a Christmas dinner party, and one of my friends was sitting next to me, and, and sort of midway through the meal, he says, Brian, do you think we're living in the last days? Do you think Jesus will come back before our lifetime ends? And of course, I kind of said to him, you know, I hope so. I, I pray for my congregation that he comes before the end of my sermon to put them out of that misery. You know, I... I The reality is I don't know. No one knows. The Bible makes it very clear. We will never know exactly when. But when I look around, when I I read scripture, I have to believe that indeed we are in the last days. However long they might be. And so Micah warns, or sorry, Micah says to the nation, even in that turmoil, even in that adversity, even in that exile, yet there is hope because Jesus is coming. And so we read it today and we go, yet there is hope because Jesus is coming again. His second coming, his second appearing is imminent. He will usher in that complete and total rule, that restoration of all things. You know, when we we read through a book like Micah, I'm reminded that scripture for us, sometimes we struggle with because we're used to reading a book or reading a story and it's a linear journey. It kind of has a start and it goes towards the end. One of the challenges we have to remind ourselves when we're reading scripture is really there's, there's more of a circular motion as we read through. 
Because we pick up a story, and that story goes through its completion. But then we read a prophet, one of the minor prophets, and and it's kind of circular because it's part of those stories again. But not only is there the circular notion, it's the reminder that that's how God works. And so God, even though he has once before moved in the way he moved and came to earth, he will do that again. And scripture holds this tension the whole time. So what does this have to do with the candle of peace? How do I read Micah chapter 5 and come to this understanding of peace? What I think what Micah does for us is he reminds us of a few key things that we need to keep in mind ourselves as we understand what peace is and how God brings us peace. The first reminder that Micah gives for us is Micah reminds us of Christ's divine nature. That Jesus is divine. He is God. Right there in verse 2, as he's talking to Bethlehem, he says, Out of you will come one for me who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so what Mike is saying is, yes, you're going to see this human baby born, but, but that human baby didn't begin then. That life didn't begin then. That life has existed for eternity. Jesus Christ was not created. He has existed for all time. And this is why elsewhere in Scripture we are reminded that Christ's name is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. In fact, he was there before the beginning, and he'll be there after the end. And our minds struggle at that because we're bound by time. And we think there has to have been a beginning, and there has to be an end. Jesus, our triune Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit, exists outside of time. And He is divine. He is God with no beginning and no end. You know, I've been reading a book. It's kind of a textbook about the Puritans. And I won't bore you with all of that. Because the pastoral team kind of looked at me skewed this past week when I said to them, I'm just reading this you know, book for the fun of it. And they were like, you mean it's not for a class? It's not for a court? Why are you reading a Puritan textbook? I get it. I understand. But one of the things that I find fascinating as I read through that Puritan journey in history just after the Reformation is the Puritans spent a lot of time discussing the characteristic of God. Not only who is God, but what is God like? And they spent a great deal of time trying to correct errors that existed in the day to say this is what God is like. And this morning, I don't have time to go through all of the characters of God and the characteristics. But as I was reading through, there were four that just jumped out for me in this idea of Christ being our peace and Christ being divine and being God. The first characteristic of God is that God is eternal. Jesus has been around literally forever. Nothing is new to him. Nothing is outside of his experience. A relationship with Jesus is an eternal thing. That's what John talks about, even in John chapter 3. This is eternal life, to know Christ. I have this, this eternal relationship with my eternal God. 
But not only is he eternal, he is omniscient. That's not a word we use too much these days. It really just means he is all-knowing. There is not a situation in all of existence that Jesus does not know about. There's not a problem that he can't solve. There's not a mess that he can't fix. I, I don't know about you, but I suck at Rubik's Cube solving. I, I could not solve a Rubik's Cube if my life depended on it. I would be amazing at making it into a mess. I can do that quite easily. I can do that pretty quickly. I was watching America's Got Talent a little while ago, and they had this kid who solved three Rubik's Cubes while juggling them. I, I kid you not, you should look it up. It's just, it's unbelievable. Here's this dude, firstly, I can't even juggle, and he's solving a Rubik's Cube as he's juggling it. Now, as amazing as that kid is at fixing the mess that somebody else made of a Rubik's Cube, that kid is never going to fix the mess of my life. He's not going to fix the mess of your life. In fact, I'm pretty sure many of you would agree with me that even I struggle to fix the mess of my own life. But yet Jesus, as all-knowing, as omniscient, as not caught by surprise of the mess that my life sometimes is in, or the mess of any of our lives, he promises that he is able to sort out that mess. He is able to restore and return to life. Doesn't matter how complicated my life is. Doesn't matter how complicated the mess is. He brings peace. But not only is he omniscient, he is sovereign. He is sovereign. And, and for many of us, this probably is one of the characteristics of God that we struggle with. Because what does it mean to say that God is sovereign? What it means is that there is nothing that happens outside of his knowledge or control. Nothing. It's amazing to me that when somebody gets thrust into adversity, and I know that we will all experience some level of adversity, whether it's a marriage that breaks apart, or some tragedy, or some kind of problem, there's this, this, this tragedy, this adversity that takes place, and sometimes we act surprised, and we kind of go, did God even know about this? Surely if God knew about this, it wouldn't have happened. Well, the Bible makes it clear, nothing takes God by surprise. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God destroyed your life through what took place. What I am saying is that God knew what would take place. And even in the midst of that, God offers peace. God says, I will be with you because it hasn't caught me by surprise. I, if you let me, I will use that, and I will bring something incredible out of that. Yes, I know you're hurt. Yes, I know your world has been rocked. But if you trust me, I will use it. And then the fourth characteristic of God that just jumped out for me this week is the reminder that he is merciful. God is merciful. He loves me. He has a future for me. He has this plan that really will bring good and really will bring joy at the end of time. I might suffer at the moment. I might go through something that sucks that I just wish would never happen. I wish it would end. And God reminds me, I'm merciful. I love you. I am with you. This will give me glory and it will be for your good. 
God is eternal. He is merciful. He is omniscient. And he is sovereign. And this is what Micah reminds us. This is the one who will come to earth out of the small little town, Bethlehem. But not only does Micah remind me of that, of the divine nature of Christ, Micah reminds us that adversity, trial, trouble, that is not eternal. God is eternal. My problems are not. And that's why he says in verse 3, he says, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And so Micah is warning the nations, yes, exile will come. Invasions will come. Adversity will come to you. But it's not going to last forever. There is a time frame. And as I read that and, and as I contemplate the peace that Christ brings, it reminds me that whatever I go through is not eternal. The, the adversity I might face, the trials I might have, the challenges that might come my way, they are not eternal. You know, we live in an incredibly broken world. We only need to watch the news for a few minutes or, or just kind of have a look around. And, and there, there's hurt and there's heartache and there's pain. You know, I think most of our pain come from one of two uh, sources. Most of our pain and adversity either comes from the terrible choices we make or from the terrible choices other people make. And we live in this world where because of our own individual poor choices, we, we lead ourselves into pain and into heartache. And this is what Micah is saying to the Israelites. You're in trouble because of the choices you've made. You chose to abandon God. You chose to ignore his commands. You chose to, to go your own way. And because of those choices, now you are in trouble. But not only is there the, the, the result of our own poor choices, but the results of poor choices of others. I mean, there, there are many of us who would be able to point to something, to some experience, to say, you know what, that experience was not my fault at all. You know, the, that person chose to, to drink and get drunk, and that person chose to climb into a car, and that person chose to drive. And in making that choice, there was a tragic consequence, and life is lost. We experience pain because of the terrible choices that other people make. But you know what? And this isn't an oversimplistic answer. That pain is not eternal. That adversity is not eternal. Maybe this is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 30 verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the psalmist is reminding us that no pain lasts forever. We can experience peace. We can experience restoration. We can experience hope in Jesus Christ. Our sorrow and grief can and will be alleviated. It might not happen in the time frame we want it to happen, but it's in moments like that we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And I can trust him because he's merciful. And I can trust him because he is our peace. This is the final reminder that Micah gives us. He reminds us that Christ is our peace. 
In fact, he says there in verse 4 onwards, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. He will be our peace. But notice what Micah says. He will be our peace when Assyria invades. I think sometimes we just want that peace. Jesus, I just, I just need you to be my peace. Get rid of everything else. Micah says to us, he will be our peace in the adversity. As we're being invaded, as we're being conquered, as we're being dragged into exile, it's in that moment he will be our peace. And he will rescue us. Micah says the Messiah will rescue, he will bring, bring peace to us. And really what he's doing is he's reminding us that peace, that deep, unshakable peace, does not come from a lack of adversity. It does not come when, when there's no trial and trouble. It's something we experience in the middle of great adversity. That adversity will come, but I can experience peace because Christ is my peace. We read that verse right at the beginning, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as when he comes along uh, a couple of hundred years later and he starts writing about Jesus, uh, he writes this amazing thing in, in the book of Ephesians where he talks about how we were alienated from God and alienated from one another. And I think we see that in the world around us. But Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For he himself, that is for Jesus, for he himself is our peace. He gives us peace with our heavenly Father, and he gives us peace with one another. How? Well, he gives us peace because he laid down his life for us in order to reconcile us to our Father for whom we were separated from. And Jesus promises to bring us peace even in adversity. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what adversity you're facing. I don't know what trials are in your life. I know there are trials, there are pains, there are problems because that's common to the human experience. My friends, this morning I want to encourage you. In the midst of your adversity, won't you let Jesus be your peace as you reach out to him and trust him? Let's pray together. Oh God, as we read your word, I'm thankful for the prophecies that point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That even in the midst of great pain and great turmoil, of, of adversity, of heartache, there's the reminder that that will not last forever. And that you will bring peace because you are peace. Jesus, thank you for this Advent season.
where we can look back and remind ourselves of what you have done. And then as we look back and remind ourselves so we can look ahead and remember that you will return. And that you will restore all things to how they should be. And God, now as we live in this in-between, the, the, the now but not yet, oh God, I pray for those of us who this morning are in the midst of great adversity, of incredible heartache, of incredible pain. Oh God, would you help us to experience peace that only our Savior, Jesus Christ, can give. For you, Jesus, are the Prince of Peace. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen.